Greetings from uh, Hope Community Church. And uh, you had uh, Jonathan, our uh, intern pastor, a few weeks ago. He, now he's on staff as well uh, on a part-time basis. But uh, now it's time to send in the, the old guy and, and let him have his kick at the can too here. So it's good to be with you this morning and to, to worship with you. I appreciated the worship team. Uh, congratulations, Martin and Sue. Uh, Lord, uh, the Lord has blessed you with many years. Uh, I was thinking my 30 years of, at, uh, at Hope Community were long. Uh, 42, that's a, that's a long time, so what a blessing. I obviously gathered that you're doing this series on the Holy Spirit. And um, this sermon that I'm doing is part of a series that we did at Hope on the book of Ephesians, but it's uh, references the work of the Holy Spirit. So I thought it'd be a good one to share with you this morning. And so let's just get into it. Let me give you a little bit of background about Ephesians here. <laughs> Ephesians begins with some descriptions of, of Christ's supremacy and glory, uh, that God is, uh, is central and he has uh, overcome sin and death. And through the power of the resurrection, he is in us. And when we think of that idea of being in us, we, of course, think of the Spirit as well. And uh, Paul writes, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened to know the hope that is yours in Christ. And then Paul goes on and he says, God's purpose is the renewal of all things in Christ. Oneness in Christ. And we see this in, in the bridging together of relationships, and in Paul's time, particularly those of Jews and the Gentiles. And we see this in the tearing down of walls of hostility that existed between them. And fortunately, we have no walls of hostility anymore. And we see this in the unity in Christ as a witness to the world. Like Israel was supposed to be. I thought that was fascinating that Liz talked on this idea that, that Moses and the people of Israel, uh, you know, that they were supposed to be this example of God's love. And, and, and they didn't do a particularly great job of that uh, when we read our Old Testament story. And then Paul goes on and he presents the marvelous spiritual gifts given to the church for its building up. And I hear, like a lot of churches, you need volunteers. In other words, we need to exercise those marvelous gifts that are given for the building up of the church. Paul talks about putting off the old ways and putting on the new ways. We see some deliberateness to that. Put off pagan ways of thinking and behaving. And he reminds them and he reminds us that we are shaped by the culture and the context that we live in. And sometimes I think we forget that or we act, almost act like we aren't shaped by the culture around us, and yet we are. And then we are reminded then that the gospel story through the power of the Holy Spirit transforms our stories, and so then we come to today's passage. So there's a little bit of a snapshot for you. So let's jump into the Ephesians 5, and he starts off with this, Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. And now as the church submits to Christ, the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. To make her holy, cleansing her with the washing with water. Oh, I threw it, sorry. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives of their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is the profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. And we have this unity thing, this oneness thing going on here. Oneness of like a husband and wife, so Christ with the church. However, each of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first command with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. The word of the Lord. Now, maybe some of you are saying, okay, Sid, you came here to talk about the Holy Spirit, and then you go to pick this passage about submission and, you know, wives and... You know, all kinds of things, and we have been some fascinating discussions over many, many years on this very, very topic here. So why would you set yourself up for this one? Overall, just to give you kind of a gist of what I, where, I, where my mind went on this, is that the Holy Spirit comes into the context of our lives. And so the Holy Spirit enters the context of Paul's day and says, here I am. Let me transform all this stuff. So that's kind of where my mind's at. In Greco-Roman culture, there's this household code that will encounter the power of the gospel and the work of the Spirit. And Paul uh, makes use of this household metaphor throughout his letters. He he paints a picture of, of the family in those times. Okay, so keep that in mind. The church lived in the midst of an extremely status-conscious society. Thank goodness we don't do that anymore. Just kidding, right? And those 
in power were already suspicious of this way of Jesus, this way of Christ, detracting from their gods and undermining the social order of the day. And then with this, we come to the family with its household codes and structure. The father ruled his household for the sake of preserving the social order of the day. He is central. He is powerful. And now he hears these words. And listen to some of them again. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hmm. What? But I'm the dad. I'm not subject. Subject to my wife? Subject to my kids? My slaves? Are you insane? Love sacrificially your wife. Don't overdo it with discipline with the kids. Treat slaves well because you have Christ as your master. I mean, this sounds insane in this culture. This is This is a whole new way of thinking and living. In this culture, the idea of men and women as equals does not exist. A lot of the social order was influenced by Aristotle and his followers. Maybe you've, I'm sure you've probably heard of Aristotle at one point. And he concluded that free male household leaders were the most important agents in the household. And that other members of the household, the wife, the children, slaves, were beholden to this man. For example, women at meals, well, they they rarely joined their husbands. They did not recline with the men, but sat at the end and left when the men started to converse. One philosopher, uh, Arius Didymus, said, "The, the man has the rule of his household by nature, for the deliberate faculty of the woman is inferior to the man. And in children, it does not yet exist. And in this case of slaves, it is completely absent. That's the culture Paul's talking about. That's the picture, cultural picture of the family. That's where the good news of the gospel enters in and brings transformation. Now, that transformation is the work of the Spirit. We, too, live in the context of culture. That culture, too, shapes us for good and not so good sometimes as well. So if you think that, that, the, that, that God is, is being shaped by how we think, it's supposed to be the other way around. That's what Paul is saying to the people of his day. Notice where we started our passage, where it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with a power that's bigger than yours. Subject yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to your husbands as to the Lord. It'll, It'll be normal for you when you have the Spirit in you, normal for you to serve and love one another. That is the evidence of the Spirit in you. Liz talked about that as one of the fruits of the Spirit. Subject to, choose to place yourself under authority, under Christ, because that's in your best interest too. To quote, the, to quote the great theologian Bob Dylan, you got to serve somebody. You got to serve somebody. You're going to serve somewhere. Or to quote a greater theologian, a greater leader, Jesus, in Matthew 6, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. 
Either he will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money or you can't serve both God and self. You can't serve both God and your ego, both God and your ideas of power. That doesn't work. And in this culture, you, you didn't need to tell the women and the kids and the slaves to be submissive to men. That was what was happening. But this was an entirely new message for the men of that day. The gospel message, the Ephesian message, the word of the Spirit. It kind of made me think of, of, of the choices that, that, that Scripture sometimes brings us. I, I think of Joshua, go back to the Old Testament. Joshua and his cultural context. We, Joshua 24 we read where he challenges the people, said, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, well, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the God your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the God of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord, right? This is the context, and we are making a choice. So make your choice. Ephesians 4, Paul writes this. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, by its self-centeredness, right? To be made new in the attitude of your mind. To put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So you see this deliberateness here, this being submissive and subject to is making choices through the power of the Spirit to live in a new way. To live in a different way, different than the culture often tells us to live. And we do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. We die to self. We give up self-power in order to be the truly empowered, which shows up in servanthood. In servanthood. It's interesting that uh, I love in, in Ephesians 6, 9, uh, where, where Paul writes, there's no favoritism in Christ. And uh, you might say, well, that, that, yeah, that's, that's really good. Yeah, it, it, it is good news, isn't it? Because we serve a God who doesn't play favorites. But for someone who, uh, some people, this might not sound like good news, particularly those in power, right? In the Roman Empire of the first century, this world uh, of slavery played a, a big role. There were hundreds of thousands of slaves throughout the Roman Empire. Without slaves, the empire couldn't function. Slaves did most of the work. I mean, even doctors and teachers were often slaves, uh, taking the best taken from the conquered cultures of the world. And the Roman slave was not really considered a person, but a tool. For Paul to undo the social structure of his day was not a, a call for a rebellion, but rather a heart transformation, uh, a, a need for power beyond ourselves, the work of the Holy Spirit. This Christ follower is made new. This Christ follower who chooses to put off old and take on new. This Christ follower who pushes back against the culture that is around him. And although that culture is also pushing back because that's how this goes. I think back on Israel in Egypt, a nation of slaves, and they cry out to the Lord. 
We had that in the, the liturgy we did early on, when it says, the people cry out, right? Israel was crying out to the Lord, and the Lord heard them. We read that in Exodus 20, verse 2, where God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of a house of slavery. And yet we jump ahead, five, six hundred years. Israel at its greatest power, humanly speaking. And then we read in 1 Kings 5, here's King Solomon. King Solomon, look at it with me. King Solomon drafted forced labor out of all Israel, and the draft numbered 30,000 men, code for slaves. And we see Solomon using slaves to build God a temple. We see him wrapped up in the thinking of his day. And I think we are often in danger of the same thing. In just a few generations, the oppressed have become the oppressors. And Israel is punished for their neglect of the poor and the weak. Uh, They are taken again into into slavery. And the cultural pattern of the world is being lived out by God's people, and they they handle that power poorly. And eventually, they're back in Babylon, and eventually, they cry out again. Crying out reminds us of our dependence on God and not the false powers that we sometimes so easily embrace. It's interesting, you take away the comforts of the empire, whatever empire we're talking about. You deprive a person of the structures and the status that give them the illusions of power. And they just might be open to a new way of living, a real way, the way of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus speaks of a new kingdom where God blesses the poor and those who mourn, we might say those who cry out, and those who are humble, and those who hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness, and those who long for peace on God's terms. And somehow, Jesus said, theirs is the kingdom. And if you're powerful, you might say, well, what do you mean? Those are weak people. They can't be empowered. And Paul writes to the Ephesians and says, Jesus is our peace. He who made the two who were at odds with each other, he destroys the dividing walls of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law because we couldn't do it. In Jesus, we are one. Through him, we are one. That's why Paul writes, remember you were once in darkness. You were once slaves, and now you're a child of the light. And all these people who were divided, who would never have sat down at the table together or listened to each other, they are now invited to the table, men and women, old and young, slave and free. doesn't matter where you're from or the color of your skin or your background or your status. And, and, And it's just unbelievably radical. It's it's phenomenally changes the way the world works because that's oneness. I don't know about you, but sometimes I tire of the echo chambers that we create around issues and stuff. And we just hang out with those who echo what we already think. That's not oneness. That isn't. We are in Christ. 
That's why Paul writes in Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for we are all one in Christ. Oh, no, we think exactly the same now. No, I didn't say that. We are all one in Christ, and somehow that oneness is the work of the Holy Spirit. Not how loud we argue necessarily. And it's interesting that in Christ, our Master, our Lord, we see a new people and a new humanity. And these households that were so dad-centered and man-controlled in, in that sense, they are now places where the churches gather Right, because they did a lot of house church stuff. And then we read, and, I, and I'm, I'm reading Ephesians 6 out of the voice, uh, where uh, Ephesians 6 verse 10, it says, Finally, brothers and sisters, draw your strength and your might from God. Brothers and sisters, and you can picture these people sitting around the table with a bunch of people they never would have sat with in the first place because it wasn't culturally the way things went. And they are now brothers and sisters. And that language seems ordinary to us, but it isn't. It isn't. And husbands and wives and the rich and the poor and the slave and the free and the young and the old and the kids and the parents are brothers and sisters in Christ who shows no partiality unlike the surrounding culture which is loaded with partiality. And our Master Jesus takes us as sinners and makes us whole and makes us unified. So yes, the gospel shows up and the Spirit shows up in our family dynamics, in our friendships, in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our interactions as society, in our churches. And Paul says, let the power of the gospel and the power of the Spirit transform life as we know it. The Spirit meets us right where we are. But remember, you were once in darkness. You were slaves. You were powerless. We need to be reminded that we are shaped, yeah, for good and bad, by the culture and the context we grew up in. But in Christ, step by step, we engage in the renewal of all things. And keep in mind that there are parts of you that will resist the work of the Spirit. We should be honest about that. There are parts of you that are going to resist the work of the Spirit. You might not even see it. Especially when it means giving up power. When it means surrendering our egos or surrendering our wills and our desires or our control or our almighty opinions. I heard a story of a mom preparing pancakes for her two young sons, and they were arguing about who would get the first one. And mom saw a teaching moment before her while she prepared those pancakes, and uh, she, she said, you know, if Jesus were here, he'd say, go ahead, you have the first pancake, I'll wait. And the older brother looked at his younger brother and said, okay, you be Jesus. <laughs> and sometimes I feel like that's what I see in church too sometimes. I think we respond in similar ways. You know what? I like power. You be Jesus. You be Jesus. 
And this, this new community is being reformed, and all are being invited to become more and more like Christ, all fighting against the self, all fighting against the brokenness of in them and in the world around them. And in that place comes Jesus with, with the power of the Holy Spirit, the one who said, you know, Father, I, I, I don't want this cup. Please take it, but your will be done, not mine. And this new community sat together at the table, which would have created a certain amount of tension, I'm sure. I mean, imagine slaves sitting next to their masters. Next time you have Lord's Supper, imagine that, you know, that we were actually sitting at a table, and there, right, there, there's your slave sitting next to you, like an equal. Women sitting at the table, that didn't happen. And Christ calls this new community his bride. A bride that he gave himself to, whose feet he washed. A bride he died for. A bride that he brings into new life. And this giving ourselves, this submitting ourselves to one another, this takes real effort. And it is done in reverence to Christ's love, where real power is. And it requires the work of the Holy Spirit, because you and I don't have enough power to do that on our own. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, we read this. Paul writes, and we with unveiled faces, and he's referencing the story in the Old Testament of Moses, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, and I love this line, from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We need to go out of here with humility and with love, giving ourselves to one another, knowing God meets us where we are, and he pulls us forward, and he transforms us, and he renews us. But from one degree of glory to another. And I think of this, you know, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, Abraham, be a blessing to the world. Israel, be a blessing to the world. They, they didn't do such a great job sometimes. And then we, the church, is called to be a blessing to the world through Christ's power. And the whole story of Scripture is about people living in the context that they find themselves in, having their minds blown by this way of Jesus and their hearts exploded by a vision for our humanity so thrilling and so joyous, it cannot be grasped all at once. It's too much. And so we'd get it one degree of glory at a time. And we might call that sanctification, right? Let's continually follow this glory-giving God now and forever, knowing that the Spirit leads us always to be more and more like Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we come before you, Lord, and we just thank you for being such an amazing God. You, the one with all the power, <laughs> came and gave your life away so that we might have life. Lord, forgive us when we uh, grasp for power, when we follow the patterns of this world instead of the pattern of Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, when we put ourselves ahead of the work of the Spirit. 
Forgive us, Lord, when we act like we know better than anybody about on everything, instead of humbly just following you and, and submitting to your spirit and sh- reflecting the love that you give. Lord, forgive us for all that we do that is self-centered instead of Christ-centered. Lord, we pray that uh, you bless our churches and that your church be a light in the world, a place where your ways are the way and where we see the lies around us and we hold up the truth instead. But we do it in such a way that it's filled with grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.